We've been going through the Sermon on the, on the Mount now for several, <clears throat> several months, digesting together, hearing from God, learning from Him, digesting what He's saying to us, uh, hopefully putting into action the things that He's telling us to do. As followers of Jesus, He's commanded us to do some things and be faithfully obedient to Him. And so as we continue on through the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to do part two today of, of what it looks like to not worry or not have anxiety. And for some of you, I'm already sounding like wah, 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 wah. You've already heard it, and you've already tuned me out. I should pray again for you so that you might listen, so that when we hear God's word, we apply it to our lives because he is king and he is Lord. We see that these aren't just words on a page that have been printed in our language so that we might read them and feel good about ourselves. But instead they are words that remind us of who our Savior is and how we can be redeemed and how we can be clothed in his righteousness and how our lives can be replaced with his life so that we may recognize who rescued us and how we're being rescued. And so as Paul said in Philippians that as we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling, as we see the good work that's began in us, we may listen to God, we may listen to his son, and we may live faithfully for him and him alone and not be distracted or pulled apart or divided by the things of the world, but instead we may be single-minded. We may be focused completely upon Christ and his kingdom. We may be seeking him first, his righteousness, his kingdom, and recognizing that he is king of all kings. Matthew 6, 25 says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? I know that's a difficult question to answer here in New Mexico where we value the life of pets and the life of animals more than we value the life of human life, the one who has dominion over these things. So I know it's a difficult question to answer, but let's move on. Verse 27. And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? A great discussion just now in Sunday school about how there are things that cause anxiety. There are moments in our life that cause us to uh, fix our gaze off of Jesus or put our, our attention upon things of this world and, and matters of the moment instead of matters of eternity. Things like illnesses, things like finances, things like uh, what will happen to me to, tomorrow. Christ is saying, fix your vision upon him. And why are you anxious about clothing? Verse 28 says, Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. I want you to remember what he's talking about here. A hunger for food a thirst for drink, a worry about life in the moment and tomorrow. The thought of clothing, being clothed with what? What's he going to provide for you? Moving on, verse 
Verse 20 or verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I remind you as we talk about these verses that you cannot remove them from where they are. You cannot take verse 33 and dissect it out and put it over here and then take the rest of the scripture and close it and put it over here and then come back to verse 33 and say, let me tell you what it's saying. It must remain where it has been placed, where Christ preached it. Among this sermon that he preached about his kingdom, it is not about you and your kingdom if you are a follower of Jesus. It is about his kingdom. So we cannot, we cannot misuse verse 33. We cannot say that if I'm seeking first God, his kingdom, and his righteousness, then all those things that I want, he will give to me. Can't take it that way. It's not what Christ is talking about. It's not about your wants. It's not about your name. It's not about your will. It's not about your kingdom. It is about the king's kingdom, the king's will, the king's desire. And it's about his ambassadors following after him faithfully because of what he's done for those he's adopted into his family and made heirs into his righteousness. A few years back, when I was much more of a sinner than I am today, we had a family reunion at a lake. That's kind of what rednecks do. You know what I'm talking about. You can relate, right? Uh, I remembered yesterday, Mandy, and I were talking about this. I have, I have uh, cousins who their last name is Hicks. I mean, come on. That's How more redneck can you be? Your last name is Hicks. Some of you are like, we might be related. <laughs> Several years ago at the family reunion, we were at the lake, and uh, one of my cousins who, uh, who the other cousins don't like, I love him dearly, but the other cousins don't like, uh, we were at the at the end of the dock in the water, and uh, it happened to be a drought year, and so the lake was the level of the lake was down a little bit less uh, than normal. And uh, we saw our, our younger cousin uh, coming down the walkway, and somebody said, "I don't think it was me. Let's hope not." Hey, let's play a trick on on cousin BK. And so we all um, standing. Uh, the depth of the of the water was about waist level there, right at the at the dock. But we decided we we're going to p- play a trick on him, and you know, kind of go down, submerge ourselves a little bit more, which is just our heads, and pretend like we were just kind of wading in the water. Oh, it's deep, BK. It's deep. Jump in, jump in. It sounds real mean, right? It sounds real mean, right? And so BK is coming, and people are yelling, "Hey, jump in! It's the water. We're see, we're just waiting. We're just waiting, but don't dive because we don't know what else is down here. Just jump feet first." And as he ran to the end of the dock and jumped in the air and and did all kinds of miraculous things, he landed. And when he landed, his feet stopped into the mud, and he's right here. And we all just laughed at him. For some reason, he didn't think it was funny. We all thought it was hilarious. But like I said, it was a time when I was much more of a sinner than I am today. Let's talk for a moment about swimming. Let's talk for a moment about drowning. You know, those that you may know that are suffering from anxiety or worry or depression uh, often say things like, I feel like I'm drowning. I feel like I, I can't go on anymore. What, what, do, I, what do I do? What, what do I need? Well, you need a rescuer. You, you need someone who will come and save you from the drowning or from the water 
that you're in. So if you take this scenario for just a second here, and imagine someone drowning. What's the first rule when you're saving someone from drowning? Well, the first rule is this. Don't take any advice from them. If they're drowning, don't take advice from them. Don't listen to them other than their cries for help. But don't go and try and rescue them and then take their advice so that they may lead you or steer you in the wrong direction. Remember that one who is drowning somehow got to that position of drowning and so their judgment may not be the best resource. So imagine you're at a lake or an ocean or a swimming pool or a kiddie pool or a mud hole in southeastern New Mexico and you see someone drowning. You hear their cries for help. You can sense their desperation. You hear their fear, their anxiety. You hear that in their screams. You, you hear the tremble in their voice. I mean, they're drowning. Their life is at stake. They feel hopeless. They're at their wit's end. They're desperate. They're sinking. They are in need of rescuing. And so you with others are standing on the shore, and someone has to take charge, and you begin asking Who's going to jump in and rescue? Who here is a good swimmer? Who's full of strength? Who's full of might? Who can go in and save this person? And you're all looking around saying, who is it that will rescue this drowning person? Hear their screams. Hear their cries for help. Who's going to jump in and rescue this person? So let's say you're that person that rescues. You jump in. You become the rescuer. You leave your place of stability. You move from the moment where you were secure and stable and solid and a solid foundation and you jump into the same water that the person you're going to rescue is in. You jump in to rescue someone who's drowning from the very water that could drown you as well. You put yourself in harm's way and you begin to question yourself. Will I drown too? Am I strong enough Will I become too weak? Will I be able to swim out? Will I have enough strength to save this person from death? And as you swim out, finally reaching the drowning person, you reach out. Calmly, you say, I'm here to rescue you. You can calm down now. I'll tow you to shore. And what happens next is shocking. I think many of you have been in this scenario before. You're there to save this drowning person, to give them life, to take them back to solid ground. And it's shocking what the drowning person might say. Hey, hey, thanks. I've, I've regained control of my life here. I've got composure. I mean, just for a moment I thought I was dying, but you're here to rescue me. I mean, this is, this is awesome. I owe my life to you. And you, feeling confident, wrap one arm around the person. All right, he's got it. He sees that he's drowning. He sees that he's, life is no more unless I'm here to rescue him. And then you begin to swim or tow or pull this wayward swimmer back to shore. This wayward swimmer whose lungs are full of water, whose strength is no more who's at, at his weakest point of life, at the point of exhaustion. And as you're swimming this person back to shore, 
This person who you're rescuing says, stop. Wait a minute. Where are you going? Why are you going this way? The one that was drowning, who is at the point of exhaustion, who has no strength, whose mind is not clear, who has not had enough oxygen in their brain to make any kind of judgment call, begins to question why you're rescuing them to this particular point. Uh, Sir, why are you taking us in this direction? Well, well, as the rescuer, you say, because this this is the way to go. This is the only way to go. If we go that way, we'll drown. This is the way to go. Okay, I see what you're saying. I understand. I think I'm, I'm clear on this. But, but would you mind, I know you're here to rescue me, but would you mind going back the other way? You see, I was on my way to greatness. I was on my way to accomplish great things. I was going in a good direction. And if you could just continue in this direction. See, I see you full of strength, full of might. You're a great swimmer. You're an amazing rescuer. So so could you do me a favor? You've rescued me. You've given me life. You've taken the things out of my lungs. I'm beginning to have clarity of mind. I'm I'm so thankful for this. But, But could you, just for a second, or for the rest of my life, could I just use you on my way to greatness? Well, 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 you were drowning. You were swimming out to death. Your lungs were filling up with things that they shouldn't have been filled with. You have no strength. You're at the point of exhaustion. You can't go on anymore. Yeah, but you're here. I want to rely on you. I want to use your strength. Well, that's not how it works. It's not how it works. Yeah, yeah, well, well, I want to go this way so badly. And you have great strength. And the rescuer calmly says, But this is the way. Too often, too often, believer, Christian, redeemed, do we use our rescuer for our own good. That is not what the Sermon on the Mount is about. That is not what seeking God and his kingdom and his righteousness is about. It's not about using Christ's strength for your good. It's not about using Christ's kingship for your will. It's not about using Christ's lordship so that you can go about your greatness or my greatness. The rescuer came to rescue you from death and save you from your drowning in sin to set you upon the way for your life, the only way for your life. So should the rescuer in our story, should the rescuer take the advice of the one in need of rescuing? Should the rescuer in your story take your advice? "Uh Uh-oh, but don't you see this is what I need? No, I see this is what you want. It is not what you need. But I need clothing and it's worth worrying about. But I need food and it's worth worrying about. But I need time and it's worth worrying about. Remember Ponce de Leon? Great explorer going to look. Some say going to look for the fountain of youth. Did he ever find it? He did not. 
And yet we have answers about eternal life. We have answers about the way. First rule when saving a drowning person is don't take advice from them. You cannot manipulate our Savior. He will not be be manipulated by you. When He rescued you with all power, when He saw you just at your weakest moment full of sin, and came and rescued you, lowering him place, leaving his place of authority to come and rescue you, he didn't come here to take advice from you or from I. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What will he provide you with? A hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Is that not what Matthew 5 tells us? What will he provide you with? He will clothe you with his righteousness. He will stand in your place. He will rescue you. He will give you purpose. Back to this wayward swimmer. The rescuer says something like, how about this? Let's make a contract, a covenant with one another. I'll carry you to shore instead of you swimming. I mean, I'll drown for you if I have to. I'll set you upon solid ground so you can actually have rest. I'll set before you things so that you will never hurt, hunger, and thirst for righteousness or thirst again. I'll provide for you everything that you need. I will rescue you and show you the way. I will give you life and clothe you with new clothes. And the rest, the one being rescued says, okay, this is sounding really good. This is sounding like a great, a great deal. But, but what's the catch here? And the rescuer says, live for me and me alone. No one can serve two masters. He will hate the one and love the other. You cannot serve this world and Christ. You can only serve Christ alone. So what's the catch? Live for me. The rescuer might say something like, remember when you were out here in the midst of this water, drowning? So like you were frantically out here searching for life and for truth and for greatness, begin diligently searching for my power and my greatness and my right way of life. And everything you will need, everything that you need will be given to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So the terms of of my getting rescued are, You rescue me simply because you saw me drowning. You set my feet on stable ground. You put breath into my lungs. You clothe me with new clothes and I simply start living your way and your life. This is when anxiety really steps in for all of us. We accept the covenant. I want to be a follower of the rescuer. I want to live for my rescuer. And we're standing there on shore, solid ground, so thankful, looking back, looking at our testimony, where God has brought us from. We look out across the water that we were drowning in, and anxiety begins to pull us. But but don't you want to live for your greatness? Don't you want to worry about how Christ is going to keep his promises? Don't you want to worry about if you'll be safe Don't you want to worry about if all your things that you need actually will be given to you? 
I mean, anxiety really is. It's like being rescued from, from drowning, yet standing on the shore, one foot in the water, wondering what it would be like to jump back in the water. All the while, the rescuer sitting on his throne says, Turn around. Look at me. Search for me. Look at me. You have new clothes on. You have new breath in your lungs. Don't return to the place I rescued you from. Minimize the fleeting things and maximize the eternal king. The only way to fight anxiety, the only way that we can trust in Christ's words when he says, do not worry, is to fix our eyes upon our rescuer. When our gaze is upon the one who rescued us, and we don't try and manipulate him to get the things that we want, but we see our life turned over to him, calling him Lord, in that moment we can rest in the arms of our Savior. The only way to fight anxiety or worry is to have an eternal mindset. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 or verse 15 says this. Colossians 1:15 and following verses says, Christ, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. This rescuer that has come to rescue you and I created all things. Everything belongs to him. He created all things. All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things were created through him and for him. Believer, follower of Jesus, if you truly believe that Christ is Lord of your life, do not forget who your Lord is. King of things. There is no one above him. Everyone is below him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He came to rescue us. The only way that you can fight anxiety is for you to know who your Lord is. And when you begin to know more about him, then the moments of stress and the moments of anxiety and the moments of worry, they seem to disappear because your eyes are fixed upon your Savior. Verse 21, And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above, above reproach before him. He saw you drowning. He jumped in to save you. Knowing you're too weak, you cannot become righteous on your own. And he clothed you in his righteousness. You know, I'm ashamed to say that as I think about my actions and the actions of my cousins, as we were yelling at my younger cousin, come and jump in. Jump, jump in the water. I think how 
how symbolic it is of the world today, how symbolic it is of sin and temptation, luring us back into the place that we've been rescued from. The Redeemer has saved us so that you may be called redeemed. And the church, the one who belongs to Jesus, should be on the shores yelling to those who are drowning. At the top of their lungs, we hear your cries, and there is only one answer. We see your trembling. We see your fear, and there is only one answer. Revelation chapter 7. Verses 9 through 17. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. Not even the Southern Baptist Convention could number, by the way. A great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes and all peoples and all languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying crying out with a loud voice, Did you see how great I was? Did you see my accomplishments? Did you see how awesome I was at my job? Did you see how great I was at being a husband? Did you see how many A's I had on my report card? Did you see how much money I made? Did you see how much time I saved? It's not what the church is screaming at all. Instead they scream, verse 10, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. When we look at our rescuer and try and manipulate him to our own wants and desires, we have missed the eternal point. You will not be celebrated. I will not be celebrated. None of my accomplishments, none of the clothes that I wore or didn't wear or the accomplishments I had or didn't have or the food I ate or didn't eat, none of that will be celebrated. Yet the only thing that will be celebrated is Christ and Christ alone. Then, verse 13 says this, one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and and from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, they are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. He rescued those belonging to him. Therefore they they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter uh, shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more. Why are you worried about what you will eat? I will provide what you need. Neither will they thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them. Oh, give me more sun. Let me have more time. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. Verse 17, For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
There aren't steps, 12 steps to overcome worry. There aren't 12 or 14 or 20 or 30 steps to overcome you and your kingdom and your sin. There is yet one, and his name is Jesus. And he came to rescue you. And though you may know it, do not forget it. And as you stand at the shore every day and are tempted to look back and jump back in, church, church, stand and scream. There is one that we should be living for. There is one we should be faithful to. There is one that we should be worshiping, and that one is Jesus. Lord Jesus, help us. You know that we are in desperate need because you see our weaknesses. You know we are in desperate need, Jesus, because you see where we think we have strength. God, help us to see you and you alone. For those that struggle daily, who stand at the shore and are tempted to jump back in, remind us what we've been rescued from. Set our hearts and our minds' attention upon you and you alone. Or dare I say, whatever it takes, that use our suffering and use our blessedness that we may worship you and you alone. God, how incredible you are that you have not given up on us. God, challenge us as the church, the ones belonging to you, to stand on the mountain or the highest point in Lee County and scream it about the one who is worthy of being worshipped. God, help us not to take granted the days that you've given us. But instead, God, let us be used for you and your glory. God, motivate us this morning through your word to respond faithfully to you. To not just see it as words, good words, moral advice, great ethical opinions to follow, but instead help us to see that it's your word that you have promised. That while searching diligently and seeking you and your kingdom and your righteousness, God, in that we can rest because we know you keep your promises and you will give us the things that we need. You will clothe us with righteousness. You will remove our sins and clothe us with those white robes. God, you will give us a hunger and a thirst for you and you alone. God, you will give us time everlasting because of your great love. And help us respond faithfully to you and to you alone this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Give you a chance to respond. We'll sing a song together.